Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Folks, we have such an awesome guest on the show today. Abby McGrew is the founder and creative director of Wayfarer Design Studio. Known for her heart-led approach to design, Abby helps thoughtful e-commerce founders bring their brands to life through visual identity, packaging, and web design. She believes that great branding is more than skin deep and always finds a way to weave deeper meaning into every last detail of her work. Abby has built her team at Wayfarer over the past six years while traveling with her husband. She has lived in Australia, Denmark, France, Portugal, and Romania, and is currently exploring Spain right now. As a creative, she finds endless inspiration from her travels and getting to experience life in different parts of the world. Abby, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. Likewise. Um, so you're currently in Spain. Yeah. How is life in Spain? It's been great. I mean, we've really enjoyed being here. I feel like we, since we first started living abroad we were always, Spain was kind of like a country that we'd throw around as far as like maybe a place that we would want to go. And it took us about seven years, but we're finally (laughs) here and yeah we've we've loved it it has not disappointed for sure what was the catalyst to you and your husband living abroad yeah so my husband plays professional basketball overseas so that's why we're able to travel and live in all of these different countries we're usually traveling to a different country and living in that country for about like 9 to 10 months every year so it can be a little hectic. I don't know. It's a very interesting lifestyle to, (laughs) to lead and to like experience being a professional athlete family, kind of from, you know, an insider perspective, seeing like how the sports world functions and yeah, but it's been such an adventure. I mean, something that we never thought that we would do. Um, We actually, we first moved abroad a week after we got married and a day after I graduated from college. So it was a whirlwind and now we're here so many years later and yeah, still loving it. So you created and developed and expanded your brand while being on the road. Yeah. I mean, I, I always wanted to be a designer, but I, I wasn't, um, convinced whenever I graduated college that I was going to start my own business so quickly. (laughs) But of course, once I, you know, decided to go on this crazy adventure with my husband, um, I realized that running my own business was going to be a lot easier since we were going to be moving to a new country every year. And yeah, that was part of what like pushed me, I guess, to, to go into entrepreneurship um, pretty shortly after, after college. What was the first big step for you in creating your business while you were on the road? Uh, I mean, (laughs) just like deciding that I was going to do it. I feel like was a big hurdle for me. I tell a lot of people the moment that I decided to officially start Wayfarer, 
I was crying <laughs> about it and they were not happy tears <laughs> because I was just so nervous. I always assumed like most designers, whenever you're in school, like the option, the career path that's presented to you is to go work in the corporate world or in an agency. So that's what I'd planned to do. Um, so yeah, I just, I just was very nervous and not very optimistic that it was going to like work out very well. Cause I felt, you know, I still had so much to learn, but um, so yeah, I, I mean, there were a lot of hurdles to get over. Right. But I feel like for me, just like having the confidence in myself to even start was a, a really big deal, especially having to start in a foreign country that I just moved to. I had no connections, no network. Um, so yeah, also just trying to figure out what was that going to look like? How do I start a business when I don't have, I can't go to local networking <laughs> events cause I'm, you know, moving, uh, so often. And yeah, there were just a lot of unknowns, <laughs> I guess in those early days. So when you started your business, did you have existing clients or did you have to go then seek clients after that? I had nothing. <laughs> I was straight out of school. Um, yeah, I I really was starting from zero uh, and just trying to figure out, one, what types of clients did I even want to work with? Um, but yeah, then having to do a lot of like marketing and refining my portfolio to really start attracting the people that, yeah, that I wanted to work with and figure out, you know, who I wanted to be as, as a designer. I can imagine there was an evolution of your brand because now it's, it, you know, at least from an, um, a digital perspective, it's so well-developed and there's so many different facets to it. But in the beginning, in the early years, how did you attract that first client? And what was that relationship with that first client like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, a lot of it was through Instagram and I, and I still feel like Instagram is, you know, kind of my go to where a lot of clients find me, even though Instagram has changed so much over the past, just the past year, but especially the past you know, six plus years. Um, but yeah, Instagram was kind of my main outlet. Cause I didn't really know where else to show up again, living in a foreign country. I, I, I wasn't going to go to like a local, you know, business owners meeting or, or something. Cause I knew I was going to leave in a few months. Um, so yeah, showing up on, on social media and, um, honestly just like creating personal projects in the early days. Um, because I hadn't, I had had an internship during college where I did get some really good experience. Um, but, I kind of needed to start fresh as far as my portfolio and also figuring out the style that I wanted to work in. Cause of course I went to school for design, but you don't really get that creative freedom, you know, in design school or even in an internship to like stretch your creative muscles and figure out what, what style do you want to become known for? So there was a lot of, in those early days when I didn't have clients yet, just me like experimenting and seeing, okay, you know, if I were to design a brand for a coffee shop, what would I want it to look like? And just kind of playing around and, and then of course sharing that work. And those are really the things that started to attract clients. Because they could see themselves working with you through those makeshift mm -hmm. projects that you created yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now on your website, you have a section for designers and a section for brands. 
at what point did you expand your company to be an outlet for designers as well? And if you can explain exactly what you do for other designers and how you work with them, that would be awesome. Yeah. It was about three years in that I kind of made that shift. I'm still primarily design studio working with businesses, but I was just sharing a lot of my process um, during that time around like the three-year mark, sharing a lot of my process, how I worked with clients, showing some like behind the scenes of, you know, how I was coming up with logo concepts and how I was like presenting my work. Because especially when it comes to presenting your work to clients and, you know, learning how to present it strategically and not just saying, here's the logo concept. What do you think? Uh, that's stuff that they don't teach you in school. And especially if you're a self-taught designer, that's something that nobody's really teaching you. So as I was sharing some of those things, I just had a lot of designers asking to see more and wanting more advice. Cause that was stuff that, of course, that's stuff that I struggled with when I first started freelancing. And it took me three years to really feel like confident in how I worked with clients. So that's, yeah, that's kind of why I ended up starting to offer some educational resources for other designers. Cause not that I was planning to like have that be part of my business, but everyone was just asking for it. And so I thought, okay, I guess, I mean, I know this would have been helpful for me in the, in the early days. So I'm happy to share, you know, things that I've, that I've learned, um, from mostly making mistakes and <laughs> and everything. So yeah, that's that's where that kind of came into play. So I have presentation templates to help designers learn how to present their work to clients and um, kind of streamline their presentation process. Um, but also, you know, a full course kind of walking through exactly how I run my business and all the things that I've learned from six plus years of, of doing this. I want to take a moment to talk about longevity of a brand and being successful um, and flexible because your story in that moment made me think of one of our um, wholesale retailers that my jewelry brand works with. She initially started and has her background in bridal buying and in like bride and bridal that, that um, industry. And she has a boutique and it used to be exclusively bridal. And now there's no bridal. It's all ready to wear. There's some men's stuff. There's some home stuff. There's a lot of, you know, accessories, hence where my pieces come into play. But she basically did what, it's one part what she loves and what she's good at. And also one part what the market is asking for. And Mm -hmm. I liken that to you because you're still doing and still serving your community by doing what you love, right? But you also opened up this entire department in your company this entire other facet to your brand that is serving your community in exactly what they're asking for at scale. So I just want to applaud you for that because a lot of folks, I think when they go into entrepreneurship, don't necessarily understand how to listen to their audience and how to listen to their communities that they're actually serving. Um, And you've done such a wonderful job with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) it's not always easy to like take on a whole other, (laughs) I mean, it's basically a whole other business, right? (laughs) Um, I think sometimes we assume that having like a course or educational things, or even like a podcast, we assume like, oh, it's just going to be an easy little thing to like tack on to what I already do, but it's 
a lot of extra responsibility, but yeah, I think, yeah, with everything that you said, just, you know, I, I listened to what people were asking for, but I also resonated with why they were asking for it. I understood, you know, it's something that I would have wanted to, um, and, and I have enjoyed it. It has been interesting to see, uh, you know, in some industries where like education and starting a course can, sometimes people just fully pivot over to that because sometimes it can be maybe a little easier to scale. Um, but for me, that's never, I don't think that's ever going to be <laughs> my plan. I just love designing so much and I love working with our clients. So I'll, I know that I'll never leave that part. Yeah. That part of my business. So we talked about you getting your very first client. Can you talk about what your client list looks like now? How many folks do you think you've worked over? worked with over the years? And also what is your sweet spot in maybe the amount of clients that you take on at a given time? Because I also know that creating that balance for a lot of designers and knowing what their threshold and their limits are is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many clients I've worked with over the years? I don't know. I don't want to guess because I don't want to be wrong. Um, But I would say we're going to work with around like maybe 12 clients in a year or, you know, give or take some years are busier. Some years, (laughs) some years aren't. Um, but I feel like that's about my sweet spot because most projects are going to take at least two months, sometimes up to like four or five months. Um, so yeah, usually I, I feel like we're working with around three clients at a time that feels good to me. And I have a team of three, um, including myself now. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how some, some agent, I mean, of course there are huge agencies that are working with like a ridiculous amount of clients at one time, but even being the manager and being able to delegate my brain, I don't think could handle it. And I just love having a very like intimate (laughs) one-on-one relationship with clients, like being very available for them. So yeah, three to four clients at a time is usually what we try to stick to. At what point in your business did you hire additional folks to be on your team? That was within uh, the last year and a half. Um, I had had contractors like work underneath me before, um, but the last over the past year was when I brought on employees, their part-time employees. Um, but yeah, made the jump into fully committing to having <laughs> a team under me. Yeah. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, something that I never really thought I would do, but here I am. <laughs> How did you decide on what projects to give them, how to delegate certain tasks to your, to your new team members. What was that like for you? Mm -hmm. That's probably been the hardest part. I would say, especially being a creative, you know, everything that we do, we like having the creative control over it. And for me, especially I was doing everything pretty much by myself for the first, like four or five years. So yeah, been very difficult to let go of certain things. Um, but honestly, for me, 
working with business coaches telling me, Hey, you need to stop doing this. I feel like I've had to, I've needed to have someone else come in (laughs) from like an outside perspective and tell me, no, these are things that you don't need to be doing. Um, and yeah, but then also of course, after like working on that a little bit, I think I've gotten better at recognizing on my own, um, when there are moments that I'm feeling very overwhelmed by my workload and then taking a second to stop and think, okay, what is currently on my plate now and what things really need to be done by me (laughs) and what things maybe would be better done by someone else. Um, I feel like I often have those (laughs) revelations, like if I'm in the shower (laughs) or something or, (laughs) or washing dishes or something like that, that's, I feel like that's always when I'm like, you know what I should have my project manager do this instead. Yeah. At what point did you hire a coach? That was around the three-year mark. That was whenever I first invested in, um, I joined a mastermind and then, um, extended that to, um, like one-on-one coaching after that. And yeah, it was huge, a huge shift for my business during that whole time. What was your business like before working with a coach versus after? I think my business had kind of like plateaued. I felt like, um, right before I joined that mastermind, um, I was doing well. I mean, I was like getting clients that I liked and I was getting clients consistently, but I knew I was undercharging, um, compared to other people in my industry. And I just felt like, I'd kind of (laughs) hit my limit. I wasn't really sure how to like get past that hump, I guess. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what it was like before. It was doing well, but I knew that it could do better. And I just needed, I had too much doubt, I think, in in myself. I was limiting myself and I recognized that. So yeah, afterwards I could just see an instant change in I mean, I think it was a mastermind. So not just getting the one-on-one coaching, but also talking with other people in my industry and just seeing one things that they were struggling with as well, (laughs) you know, realizing that I wasn't the only one struggling with some certain things, um, but also getting to see their wins and seeing like what was possible for them, of course, then helped me realize, well, if they can do it, of course I can do it too. Um, and just, yeah, being able to break away from some of those limits that I was putting on myself. How did you find your mastermind? It was a designer, um, shout out to Morgan Rapp, (laughs) um, a designer who I'd been following for, for a while. And she, she had just, you know, done some of the things that I really wanted to do. She specifically worked with e-commerce clients, which is, I was wanting to make that shift at that time. Um, so yeah, that's, I'd been following her for a long time and, um, I just knew that if I was going to learn from somebody, it was a good choice (laughs) to learn from her since she'd already kind of done some of the things that I was hoping to do with my business. So before working with your coach and before finding your mastermind, you didn't exclusively work with e-commerce brands. You had people in other industries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I worked with a lot of service-based business owners, um, photographers. I also worked with some bloggers. 
um, like florists, you know, it was a wider range um, of clients, which I loved working with all of them. But I just started to realize that I think I maybe the first like product based business that I would have worked with was like a skincare um, client and doing like the packaging for them. I just instantly could tell that I was so much more excited to to work on that. Doing the packaging, really thinking through like the full brand experience and, um, you know, creating those bits of like surprise and thinking about how is this going to stand out on a shelf and, you know, how are people going to react when they first open their package? Those are just things that made me instantly so excited. So I knew, okay, I have to lean into this and, you know, these are the types of people that I want to work with going forward. How did you shift those relationships prior to that aha moment? Were you, did you just see those projects all the way through? Was, did you have to break up with any of your clients? What was that season of your life like? I didn't break up with any of them. I did, you know, any projects, of course, that I was currently working on, um, saw it through. And then uh, I still, I had kind of a transition period because of course with marketing, um, you know, kind of switching your, your niche, um, with who you're working with, it's going to take some time. It's not going to be a, all of a sudden one day you just post on Instagram. Now I'm working with e-commerce clients and instantly those are the only people <laughs> who reach out to you. It was never going to work out that way. Um, and since I had worked with quite a few people in like the wedding industry, you know, I was getting inquiries from other similar businesses just based on, you know, referrals because I'd worked with those types of people before. So there was definitely a transition period, probably for like a year or so where I I was really pushing to get the e-commerce clients and marketing myself in that way, um, but still getting, you know, some of the service-based businesses and and still working with a few of those. You know, I wasn't, I was definitely going to like limit myself to not fall back into, <laughs> you know, only working with service-based people. Um, but yeah, being very selective if I did take on a service-based um, project, but now I'm completely e-commerce. I love that you called out the year timeline that it took you to fully transition over because I don't know if folks really understand how much time it actually takes to make those big transitions in your brand, in your brand. Um, we moved from all different types of materials in the jewelry industry to exclusively using stainless steel. And at the time I mm -hmm. thought I'll do this in a couple months. And then two and a half years later, we're finally here. So I really appreciate you being so honest with that timeline because there are so many entrepreneurs and solopreneurs that listen to this podcast. And I think oftentimes, especially as creatives, we can get excited about the next project and we're so pumped about the next thing. And then when it doesn't come immediately, sometimes we can get disheartened, but to just stay the path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that I think that social media has kind of, I don't know, given us false expectations of like the quickness that happens. You know, we see some things really take off and everybody sees it. But of course, like if there's a big shift that we're making in our business, um, yeah, we might post about it one time, even even 10 times, but not everyone's going to see it. It still doesn't mean that everyone sees it. Um, so yeah, it, it can definitely take a while and requires consistency in like showing up and, you know, until 
everyone, you know, recognizes this pivot that you've made. You mentioned pricing a little bit earlier, and I can so appreciate how difficult it might've been to shift that pricing, to know that maybe you were undercharging, but didn't know exactly what that threshold was. Can you speak to that process of, Mm -hmm. of increasing your pricing and really getting clear on what your pricing structure is? Yeah. Yeah. And creative work is, it's difficult to nail down pricing for it because it can be, uh, mysterious for a lot of people if you've never hired a designer or a creative freelancer before a lot of people don't know what to expect and even myself being a designer whenever I first started I had no idea what was normal to charge and I I asked my professor from college to like give me advice on what to charge for like my first project and what he told me was kind of like the going rate um, for like a junior designer uh, for freelancer, like $30 an hour. And so I tried to like estimate my prices based on that. Um, so I was charging, I think I charged like $300 for my first branding project, which I'm embarrassed by now because I just know that that's way too little. <laughs> for the amount of work that I was putting in. And also, I mean, even though I was just starting out, like I was talented for a junior designer. Um, So yeah, it was very difficult. And because I made the mistake of like starting that low, it felt so much more difficult to work my way up once I realized how much I had undercharged. Um, And so, yeah, it's been a slow process (laughs) throughout the years. Um, I was very slow, like trying to raise my prices in the beginning because I felt a lot of guilt around it and just uncertainty if people would like think I was worth it. Um, but that was a also a big shift whenever I invested in that mastermind and coaching because all of a sudden I was putting myself out there and letting other designers, you know, see like what I was charging. And instantly a lot of people telling me, nope, you absolutely have to raise your prices. And, and, but that was kind of a push that I, I needed, (laughs) I felt at that time. So yeah. Um, and I think that I've also tried to be more mindful about talking a little openly about pricing um with design and whenever people reach out to us being a little more upfront about like what goes into the cost of design because again like I said a lot of times if I get on a call with a potential client and I ask you know what they're what they're thinking budget wise um if there's a certain amount they're like expecting to spend almost every single time people say well I really have no idea what something like this would cost <laughs> and I think that that's I understand, but I, I would like to change that. Cause I don't want people to feel sticker shock whenever they see, you know, a price for branding or a website. Um, but I think it's important for creatives to, you know, be upfront with like what we do is very valuable. Um, there can be a direct financial impact to having better design or a better functioning website. Um, but also there's so much unseen work that goes into what we do. We don't, you know, come up with a a logo instantly. We're doing 
30 hours <laughs> of work and research and experimenting to get to the amazing final, you know, concepts that we present. Um, so yeah, there are just a, a lot of things <laughs> that I realized over the years. I, I was, I felt like I also didn't recognize the value of my own work in the beginning. It took me years to realize, oh, what I do can like really make a difference for these businesses. And like, I shouldn't be underselling myself because I didn't even realize um, the value of what I'm offering to them. So how did those rates change from before to after? So you, mm-hmm. you said your first project was $300. What would something like that with your expertise, with all of your skin in the game, with you know everything that you have to offer your clients now, what would a project like that for that particular client um, go for at your company now? Mm-hmm. Um, for branding right now, um, our packages are around $8,000. Um, that's where we're sitting. And... <laughs> To be honest, I know designers probably less experienced than me who are charging even more than that. (laughs) Um, And of course, hearing like quotes where clients who've come to us, who've also gotten quotes from like big agency. I mean, we're, we're a like boutique style agency, right? Like we're a smaller level. You know, if you're looking at a bigger agency, the quotes that people are getting from those companies are in the like 20, even like $50,000 range. Um, but that's, I, I understand why people can get so confused about what, what would branding or a website really cost? Because depending on where you're getting quotes from, you know, the, the pricing can be really all over the place. So yeah, it's important to make sure you're getting the right fit, <laughs> I think. And, um and yeah, and someone who has that experience to know that you know, the pricing is accurate. (laughs) Do your team members live in the same time zone or are they in different time zones? All different time zones. (laughs) So So how uh, in the world do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm currently in Spain. So I am six hours ahead of Eastern time. Um, our operations coordinator, she's in Maryland, so she's on Eastern time. And then our junior designer, she's in Texas. Um, so she's a two hours behind that. So yeah, it can be a little complicated sometimes. And then of course, mix in the clients that we work with who are mostly in the US, um, but we'll often have people on East Coast, West Coast, everywhere in between. Yeah, it can be kind of difficult. Um, our process definitely had to change a lot, um, just with like extending deadlines when I was doing everything myself, of course, I was just, you know, relying on when I'm available (laughs) for things and how quickly I can get things done. But once I started bringing on team members, you know, the, the deadlines for things had to be extended (laughs) pretty much for, for everything to then allow time for, you know, if I, if the, our junior designer is taking care of, you know, part of the project, then, you know, she needs time to work on it. Um, then to submit it to me to review, then for me to like, give her any refinements to make, she makes those changes, submit it to me again. I don't know. There are just, you know, extra steps that had to be added into the process, but then also considering the time difference, uh, you know, if we were in the same time zone, then maybe I could send her edits in the morning, she would make them in the evening, and then I'd be able to still like approve it 
end of day and send it off. But a lot of times that, that can't work for us because if I'm sending her an edit, she's just waking up at the end of my day. So, you know, it's, I don't know, we've gotten used to it by now. Like we've figured out the the right amount of time that we need to do things um, and like set our expectations, but yeah, it can still be a little complicated um, at times, especially if there are like things that need to be done quickly. Uh, you know, if there's an emergency or something, you know, if I'm the only one awake, then either I have to take care of it or I can wait until someone else is awake and then let them do it. But, you know, sometimes that gets tough if I'm like, ugh, I could just do it right now. <laughs> and that's where, you know, that control of... <laughs> I don't know, taking on tasks that maybe I shouldn't be doing can get kind of tough if, if I'm the only one awake to do it. <laughs> I totally resonate with that. Um, do you guys have a project management system or any sort of platforms that help you run your business? Yeah. Um, we use a couple of things. We used Absato for general, like managing inquiries that come in um, and also like getting feedback from clients, sending contracts, invoices, um, and then for general, like project management, as far as like managing the timelines and like, uh, set, assigning tasks to people on our team, to our clients, um, and like communicating all in one place. Um, we've been using Asana for that. Um, however, we're currently testing out Notion. Um, I don't know if you've ever used Notion. A lot of people in the design world have been kind of switching over to that. So we've been testing that out in our operations coordinator, trying to like figure out the best way to like transition <laughs> to using that. Um, but yeah, those are the main, the main like tools that we have to kind of keep things organized. I use Notion with other folks that we work with, um, you know, third-party companies. I also have my own Notion for my personal self because I'm more of an aesthetic. Um, I organize my life aesthetically and my notes mm. aesthetically. So Notion's been really helpful for me, but we use monday.com. Mm. It's much more of like a streamlined project management. It integrates with all of our platforms. I wish it was a little bit more aesthetic like Notion, but it, it serves its purpose. Yeah. That's, that's probably <laughs> being a like creative minded person and everything. It's like, it's a blessing and a curse because of course I appreciate that I'm creative, but sometimes I can get so picky when it comes to using platforms like that, because if the design is off, I like, can't get over it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe it is functionally better, but I need it to look good as well. I totally get it. So when you are presenting your own company, how frequently do you level up? Do you reevaluate what your aesthetic looks like? How frequently are you reevaluating how you're presenting yourself to the world? Because I can imagine that in aesthetics, you do have to stay on top of your game because your work and how you present yourself is ultimately your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say we can use like our, our website for, as an example. Well, one, I will say in the early years, I feel like I was updating my, you know, aesthetic and website and, you know, what my social media <laughs> marketing looked like 
pretty often. <laughs> I would say probably like two, three times a year or something, because I was still kind of in that stage of figuring out what type of designer I wanted to be, what my style was. Now I feel like for the past, you know, couple of years, it's been pretty consistent because I feel really good about where my style is and, you know, what clients come to us for. Um, But as far as our website goes and um, portfolio type things, I would say like once a year, we just did like a big redesign of our website um, last late last summer. Um, and that was like a, I would say it took a whole year to even (laughs) like design, redesign and redevelop that whole website. So that was like a big, um, a huge update for us. Um, but yeah, I would say at least once a year we'll kind of re reevaluate. I mean, your website is beautiful. I have it pulled up right now. It is just, it is unbelievable. I have not personally worked with Abby yet, but my gosh, if you are in the market, if you're an e-commerce brand and you're in the market for a designer, I mean, your work is really, really, really beautiful. Thank you so much. (laughs) You are so welcome. Do you remember your first exposure to graphic design, to the design world, to art? How did you know that this was an industry that you could go into and make a career out of? Yeah, I was always a creative child. I really liked to draw and everything, but as far as graphic design goes, (laughs) it was actually, um, I want to say I was about 13 years old. And of course those were like MySpace days. And I was obsessed with changing the like images and colors and stuff on my MySpace profile page. And when I say obsessed, I was every single day coming home from middle school, I would just get on my parents' computer and I would change it. I would change it every single day because I was just so like fascinated by the fact that I could add a different like background image. And now to think of how awful (laughs) all of those different profile pages that I must've put together looked. I mean, you think of like, (laughs) you would have like a pa- a giant picture of like grass or something covering like the entire <laughs> background of your profile. But I just felt like, oh, I can like change the way this looks to make it feel more like me. That was so fun and like thrilling to me. And I think that my mom, she got very annoyed that I was just coming home every day, getting on the computer and like working on this for hours. And finally she was like, you should probably do this as a job one day. And I didn't, it didn't really like click with me that this could be a job, but yeah, I have to give credit to my mom. Cause I think she was the first one who really brought it up, but yeah, it was like 13 years old. Once she said that, I was like, yep, this is what I, what I want to do for the rest of my <laughs> life. I want to, I want to change people's MySpace profile page, <laughs> which I mean, it's, it is related to what I do because I do feel like your your brand as a as a founder or a business owner, I mean, your your business is an extension of yourself. So I I am using design to, you know, help people feel more seen or represented through the brand that they're building. Um yeah, but looks a lot different <laughs> than than the MySpace pages that I was designing. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, to your point, I suppose all of our respective websites are the equivalent of MySpace back in the yeah. day. There's a lot more freedom and flexibility, flexibility, excuse me, that we have with the digital world that we didn't have during the MySpace days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was Little Abby like? Um, very shy. <laughs> I would say. I think that was part of like I. I didn't really see myself ever becoming an entrepreneur because I was a pretty introverted kid. Um, yeah, I would say very shy, but yeah, very into drawing, um, very into Harry Potter, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would very shy. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Very shy, very quiet. What does, what does life outside of work look like for you? <sighs> right now, um, lots of going to basketball games. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, that's always our, our weekends, a lot of, um, basketball, but yeah, just trying, trying to like soak up our time living abroad as much as possible. Honestly, it can be hard to like really embrace it while we're, while we're abroad, because even though, I don't know, it might seem like it's a vacation all the time while we're living in Spain, but like, we're really just living our normal everyday life just in a foreign country, which is a really weird thing to do. (laughs) Um, you know, just like going to a grocery store and like not being able to understand (laughs) all the people around you and, uh, things like that. But but yeah, trying to soak up our time here as much as possible and, you know, not get too sucked into work and make time to explore and, you know, try new foods and um, see all the things um, before before we have to leave. Yeah. What does self-care mean to you? Hmm. Definitely a buzzword nowadays, but I know that everyone has a different, everyone has a different relationship with the concept of balance and of self-care. So I'm curious what those are for you. Mm -hmm. Self-care to me, I think, I feel like it, it, it means doing something that lights me up creatively. I think for me, that's what kind of comes to mind. Like I, I would consider me like working on a personal project as self-care, especially as a creative. Sometimes I need that, (laughs) Um, but also, you know, going on a walk and looking at like signage here in Spain (laughs) is like self-care to me. I don't know anything. Yeah. Anything that provides me with like creative inspiration that feels the most like self-care, I think, in my brain. I love that. How do you continue to stay relevant and educated in your respective field? Mm. I think uh, following and trying to learn from, um, you know, designers who've gone before me who, you know, I really admire, um, but also, you know, absorbing all the stories of founders and, you know, 
people who represent the the clients that I would love to work with, really trying to understand, you know, not just, of course, what their design needs are, but like the obstacles that they face as as founders and, you know, the things that can be really hard and feel really challenging and, and trying to find how can I, as a designer, be able to meet some of those challenges through my my services, even if, you know, maybe, yeah, they, they need a logo, but how can I somehow help um, the other challenges that they face in their business feel less challenging or, or help them feel more prepared? Um, yeah, kind of thinking beyond just the initial deliverables and really um, trying to learn how I can support our clients as best as possible to, to thrive. There are so many different facets to your world, to your business, and now with new team members and a whole new department within your company, how do you structure your days, your weeks, your months? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think one of the best parts about the, because we talked about like the time difference, <laughs> one of the best parts is actually the time difference, even though it can be complicated. Um I get to wake up in the morning and have like a slower start because nobody else is awake. And I get to get a lot of my work done during the day without any interruptions because I'm up before everybody else. Um, Actually, whenever we're home during the summer in the U.S., it kind of stresses me out (laughs) being... being awake whenever everyone else is. Cause then I'm like, everybody needs something for me right now. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm able to, I start my days a little bit later, probably around like 10 o'clock. Um, but maybe sometimes like 11, <laughs> if I, uh, want to take very European of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so getting a later start, but being able to work kind of uninterrupted. And that really is good for me, I think, with like a creative from a creative flow standpoint, being able to like get in the zone. Um, but yeah, and then end of day is always when my calls are. And that's kind of nice to be, even though they might be a little bit later, like it's almost 7 p.m. here. Um, but I kind of like having calls are at the end of the day. And then once the call's over, I'm done. You know, that's that's my like day-to-day workflow. Um, but yeah, weekly, we always start with like a team meeting on Mondays. Um, usually we're presenting things to clients on Tuesdays or Fridays. We've kind of found that rhythm of like, these are always the days that we present something so that our, yeah, our workflow as a team can be (laughs) consistent and, and more organized. Um, yeah. Do you feel that your company now will just continue to evolve over the years and this you've really found your zone of genius or do you feel like this is one of many chapters I definitely think it's one of many chapters um because I still even though I've had like my team for like a year now still feels very fresh I still feel like I'm figuring out how to be um a manager and a boss a lot um, cause that's hard work to all of a sudden just bring new people into your business. And like, it takes a lot of time to figure out how to have a really like seamless and like intuitive <laughs> working relationship. Um, but yeah, I definitely see us maybe expanding a bit more, um, in the future, but I'm also really interested to see 
what it's going to look like when one day I'm not living abroad anymore. Um, that'll be a few years down the road, but at some point my husband will retire. <laughs> Retirement for athletes is much sooner than <laughs> normal people. Um, so yeah, in a few years, uh, he'll retire and we'll settle down somewhere in the U S we don't know where yet, but that'll be a big shift. And to see kind of what new, I don't know how my vision for, for Wayfair kind of changes whenever that happens, I'm going to get to kind of reimagine what it looks like. I would love to have like an, an in-person office and, and everything. And because of that, be able to do more, I, I have felt kind of limited. Like I would love to be part of our clients, like photo shoots for their products and, and, you know, things like that. But living abroad that can make it kind of complicated to, to offer those types of services. So I'm really looking forward to what new possibilities we'll have whenever I am back in the U S for good. Um, yeah. And have some more flexibility to be there for our clients in a closer way, physically closer way. Yeah. <laughs> Where can we find you? And how can we support you? Yeah, so I'm mostly active on Instagram. Um, so my account is at at wayfairdesignstudio.com. Wayfarer is W-A-Y-F-A-R-E-R. <laughs> I feel like sometimes it sounds like Wayfair, the like furniture <laughs> website. Um, but yeah, Wayfair Design Studio on Instagram and then also our website, wayfairdesignstudio.com. You can learn about you know, what we do and we have lots of blog posts with fun branding e-commerce tips on there. Um, if you're looking for free advice, <laughs> um, or anything like that. Speaking of advice, what advice would you give to someone who sees you, who listens to this podcast, who sees your website and says, I want to do my version of that? Oh, I, so many things <laughs> that I could say. Um, I feel like one of the biggest ones is don't be afraid to ask for help. Cause I feel like it took me a long time to ask for help. Um, and yeah, just know that nobody has it figured out. <laughs> I feel like that's the other thing. Like I, I don't know, even, even people like me who've been in this industry for, you know, six plus years, everyone's struggling with similar things, just in a slightly different way. So know that you're going to make mistakes, but that doesn't mean you're the only one who has made that mistake. And and you probably, you know, the people you admire have probably made those same mistakes or are currently making similar mistakes, maybe just at a different level. So don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your wisdom and your time and your beautiful talent. You guys, please go check out her website because it is absolutely stunning. And we're sending you so much love stateside. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Wow. You guys, that interview was just everything. A huge thank you to Abby for coming on the show. Another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you like this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love, just like Abby. 
Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostello Radio on Instagram. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week with another amazing guest on Marin Costello Radio.